0: The Apostle John echoed the cry of a father's heart. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And with that scripture in mind, I want to say thank you for the way you are serving. Thank you for the way you are seeking God. Thank you for the way you are staying together in spirit when we're not able to do it um, in The physical realm. I'm so proud of you. Your faith is uh, spoken of in so many places. Your faithfulness, your generosity, and your kindness. I want you to know, loved ones, you are missed, you are loved, and you are prayed for. And hopefully, hopefully it won't be too much longer before we'll be able to get back together. But until then, Keep on serving. Keep on seeking. Keep on opening your heart to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let's come together now for our message. The title is, This Time I Will Praise the Lord. And as our custom is, wherever you are, let's pray the Lord's prayer together, welcoming him as we begin our service um, through the word today. Our Father, who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, Forever and ever. Amen. We're going to look at a passage today out of the book of Deuteronomy. And this is uh, one of the books of Moses, one of the um, foundation stones of the kingdom of God as expressed through Israel and later through the church. And this is what was declared over Israel in chapter 2, verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. He has watched over your every step through this great wilderness. And during these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. This wasn't a hope for the future when they were just coming out of Egypt. For 40 years, they had been wandering in this great wilderness. And for 40 years, God has been watching over them. God has been blessing them. And the conclusion was made during this time, we've lacked nothing that we need. Now to really set the stage for this passage in Deuteronomy 2, I think we need to review a story in Genesis about a young lady, probably in her mid to late teens, Um, by the name of Leah. That's where we're introduced to her. And Leah, you say, what does she have to do with the wilderness? Well, it's a lesson Leah learned that transferred forward, I think. You've got to understand Leah's story. She was the oldest sister in a family of several siblings. Her sister, uh, Rachel, became the object of Jacob's attention. He loved her, he loved her deeply. In fact, he agreed to work for Laban, Rachel's father, for seven years in order to win her hand in marriage. And it was such a storybook romance, it says, even though he had to labor seven years for it, they seemed like just a few days because of the great love he had. Well, it comes time for the wedding. And Laban, who was a trickster and a manipulator, he's not the kind of guy you'd want for a father-in-law. But uh, he gives Jacob, his wife, Rachel, or so he thinks. And after the celebration of the wedding, Jacob goes into the tent. They consummate the marriage. He wakes up in the morning and lo and behold, he doesn't have Rachel. He has Leah, the older sister. Now, you say, how could he go through his honeymoon without knowing he had the wrong girl? I don't know. Maybe the lighting was bad. Maybe Jacob was drunk. I don't know. I just don't know. But he woke up and realized he had been given a wife, but it was the wrong one. Now, he's going to get the love of his life so that he has two wives. It would cost him another seven years of labor. But I don't want to talk about Jacob and Rachel today. I want to talk about Leah because you've got to understand what this young girl would go through for the next several years, feeling like a consolation prize. How would it work in your marriage if you knew your husband loved another woman? How would it work in your marriage if every time you were in a moment of embrace, with the man of your dreams, you wondered if he was thinking about someone else. It appeared that her sister was the pretty one, more so than Leah. The Bible describes it this way. Some versions say that she had weak eyes. Now, some translate that to mean that she had some deformity or some disease of the eyes. Others say uh, that that was a way of saying that her eyes were beautiful But then right after it says her eyes are beautiful or weak, whatever, there's a big but that follows in that sentence. But her sister, and don't mean to be uh, crude, but it says her sister was lovely, shapely, and desirous in every way. So Leah has maybe some traits, but if she's a five on a scale of 10, her sister seems to be a 15. And she enters in that relationship. It was so obvious that God looked upon Leah and had compassion on her. And in an attempt to make Rachel and Leah and Jacob come to the right kind of relationship and understanding, the Lord in his sovereignty, we don't always understand his ways, but in his sovereignty, he prevented Rachel from bearing children, but allowed Leah to be very fruitful. And as you read the story of Leah, she goes through the process of bearing son after son after son after son. And every time she has a son, she names the son with this in mind. Now my husband will love me. Now my husband will care for me. Now maybe I'll at least enjoy equal footing with my sister. Who is the love of his life? And it goes on year after year after year. It's such a sad story. And I wish I had time to tell the whole story because it does end well. But something happened in Leah's life after years of trying to get the approval of her husband. She realizes that there are some things you can't force to happen. There are some hearts you can't win no matter what you do. So this time when she goes into labor and bears a son, she said, I will name him Judah, which means praise. And she made this declaration. That's the title of our message today. This time I will praise the Lord. I don't think that meant that she didn't praise the Lord for her other children. I I don't think that meant that, well. I've tried everything else and I'm just going to give up. I think, I really do think it marked a change where she said, I can't make this happen by my own efforts. I can't make my husband love me. But I have a God who loves me more than I can understand. He loves me in a way that Jacob will never be able to fulfill in my life. So finally, she says, this is about me and God. I will praise God the Lord. Now, I think that we need to understand something that's very important. It says in Genesis twenty-nine thirty-five. let me give you that text. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise. And then she stopped having children. Now let's fast forward. The kingdom of Israel begins as a small family. It grows and by the time they go into Egypt during the famine, they're about 70 or 75, still a small family, but they will become a great nation. And God, during the time that we know as Passover, leads them in deliverance out of that land Now they were in Egypt for about 400 years. They were afflicted by Pharaoh and his administration. And in the book of Exodus, it makes a beautiful statement. It says, the more they afflicted them, the more Egypt afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Now they are a a group of, depending on how you do the math, I think at least two and a half to 3 million people and probably more. And, God is now leading them out of Egypt, out of that place they've lived called Goshen. And God is leading them into their inheritance. He's leading them into their inheritance. Now, I believe that the journey from Goshen to Canaan, Goshen is where they lived during their Egyptian bondage. They became slaves. And God brought Israel from Goshen out of Egypt. you know the story of the Red Sea? into the wilderness, and then into the wilderness en route to the promised land. Now, God took them in a very uh, circuitous route. We'll, We'll talk about that in just a moment. But there's three places to understand what God was doing in Israel. And I might say to understand what God's doing in our life today, we need to understand very thoroughly three concepts. Number one, We need to understand the concept of Goshen. What was Goshen? What was the purpose of it? But secondly, we need to understand the wilderness. Now, the wilderness we do not like. It's like my pastor used to say. He said, I don't like the wilderness. I've never liked the wilderness. I don't like it now. I don't have any plans on liking the wilderness in the future. But the wilderness is the will of God. Now, we're going to find out in a few minutes that we have to have the wilderness. If we obey like Jesus, we might spend 40 days there. (laughs) If we disobey like Israel and like so many times we have, we might spend 40 years there. But the wilderness is God's place where we learn that man does not live by bread alone. There's things you learn in the wilderness, the place that is dry and thirsty, the trials, the troubles, that you cannot learn anywhere else. That's why James, writing to the early church, says, brothers and sisters, when troubles and trials enter your life, in the Phillips translation, do not resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. It's because God knows there are some things you and I learn in these hard places, like the one we're in right now. There are some lessons that we learn in the onslaught of the COVID virus that we might not learn in any other setting that's a setting of prosperity. Oh, I'm not saying that God sent the virus, but I'm saying that God is able to take that barren place in your life called the wilderness and teach you something so profoundly, profoundly powerful that it is beyond description. So we've got to understand Goshen. We've got to understand the wilderness. And then we go in to the promised land. Now, how do we navigate this journey? Um, many of us have spent our lives on a quest for significance and approval that has eluded us As I often say, we think that Jesus died to make us comfortable and happy when he died to make us holy and joyful. And there's a big difference. Now, when we go back to these Old Testament stories, a lot of people today say they're not relevant and serve no purpose. That's not what Paul said. He said all of these things, talking about the Old Testament, he said all of them were written as examples for us. He said, we're in the last days now. That's what Paul would say. But he said, don't write off the old. He says, understand that when you read the old, they are given to us as examples to help us know how to better serve God. Now, let me say this. In the Old Testament, there are what we call types or foreshadowings. Uh, In other words, there are things written that very clearly in the Old Testament were written that point very clearly to something in the New Testament. For instance, the Passover and the, the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb, we know beyond question, we know that that was a type or a foreshadowing, the death of the Lamb and the blood on the doors, that was a foreshadowing of the death of Christ. He, even in the New Testament, it says, He has become our Passover lamb. All of the holy days, all of the holy feasts, all of the offerings, all of these things were pointing to the fulfilled ministry of Jesus Christ. Now we're not obligated to keep the feast and the offering and the holy days, but we look back on them with thanksgiving. We look back on them with appreciation and understanding because of these types and shadows that told the people of God long ago, there's a day of fulfillment and redemption that's coming and this is what it's going to look like. But not everything in the Old Testament is a type or a foreshadowing. A lot of things are, are just simply illustrations. See, if you're not careful, you don't, you don't want to get into allegory. The Old Testament is not allegorical, but there are illustrations of principles in the Old Testament that help us understand the new. Paul gave us a for instance. To the Corinthians, he quoted a passage in Deuteronomy. He was talking about we ought to care for those that are doing the work of the ministry. He said, take care of those that are doing the work of the ministry. And he quoted Deuteronomy where the command was, don't muzzle the ox that's treading out the corn. And Paul says this, is God saying this about oxen only or is he speaking something into our lives? So the care of the oxen Paul used as an illustration of how we ought to care for those who grind out the corn in the, in the spiritual sense. Now, I believe that we are right now seeing God give us direction by both intentional types and by illustrations for his purposes in our lives. Let me explain to you what I mean. Goshen, I believe, is a picture of, of our protection when we recognize and embrace the covenant of God, even when we go through trials, even when we go through tough places. Goshen is the principle of Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Now in Goshen, it doesn't mean that we're spared from all trouble, but we are spared from much trouble and his hand mitigates in times of difficulty. So we celebrate Goshen, but we forget that God only has us in Goshen until he can make us strong enough to go somewhere else. There's also the wilderness, a necessary part of the Christian life. Now, let me tell you about the wilderness. It's dry and barren, and it's the will of God. You say, oh, wait a minute, I misunderstood. Would you say that again? Sure. It's dry, it's barren, but it is also the will of God. It may surprise you to know that the path you and I are on through the wilderness is also the will of God. Now, we don't like times in the wilderness. We, we want to get out of the wilderness. And you can define the wilderness as any hard place where we've got to lean on the Lord. But loved ones, do you remember that even Jesus had to be led into the wilderness to be tested by the devil? And if Jesus was required to go into the wilderness, (laughs) I bet you, you and I are going to have to spend some wilderness time as well. Now, let me explain this before you get all in despair. When God leads us through the wilderness, through those dry places, he knows something that we don't know. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, my pastor used to lead it all the time. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness and all I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all the way and all that I'll need for tomorrow for my Lord knows the way through the wilderness and all I have to do is follow. That's true, but it's tough to understand that sometimes when things are tough, like in a virus, or a sickness that's touched your life or the loss of a job or a rocky re- uh, relationship and home. It, the list of what the wilderness looks like goes on and on. But when we're in these tough places we have a tendency to say, God, why have you done this? God, why have you left me? But loved ones, he's not only brought you into the wilderness, he's got a plan to get you out of the wilderness. And do you know that the very steps you're on may be God's very perfect guidance? Listen to Exodus 13, 17. Now, I wish we had a map. I should have gotten a map so you'd have the graphic. But when Israel came out, well, let let, let me do it from your perspective when they were in Egypt and they came out, they crossed the Red Sea, all they had to do was go straight across into the promised land. But what God did is he led them, and of course, you know later that they went in circles for a while, but he led them on a path to the south, way out of the way, way out of the way, and they entered the promised land from the other side. They should have, the easy route was to go in from the west, but God had them go around, they came in, they bypassed the holy Land, the, the promised land, and they came in from the other side. Why did He do that? Well, it explains it in Exodus 13:17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on a road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. That was the direct path for god said if they face war first they might change their minds and return to egypt see the philistines they were the they were the klingons of the ancient bible days They were the worst enemies that Israel would face in all of their cleansing of the promised land. And God said, I'm not going to show them their worst enemies first. I'm not going to give them their toughest battles first. So God led them way out of the way. And all along the way, they kept saying, where is God? What is he doing? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that we could die there? Boy, I tell you, it's, it's a sad state when we start thinking that slavery was the good old days. But God led them on that route because he knew if they had gone this way, they would have quit. So he took them in a way that was a blessing. Jesus in the wilderness fulfilled the passage in Deuteronomy using the verse when he was combating Satan. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Now, loved ones, before we move on, let me say this. Whether you and I spend a short time in the wilderness or a long time in the wilderness is largely up to us and our reaction. Jesus learned everything he needed to learn in the wilderness in 40 days. Israel spent 40 years because every time God gave them a test, they kept failing. You see where I'm going? But this time, this time, We will praise the Lord. This time, our reaction will change. So with this understanding, I want us to face the wilderness with the understanding that we're going to leave the trouble and trial, and we're going to get through the trouble and trial as we learn to have a heart of thanksgiving. I'm not talking about a positive mindset. Loved ones, I want to tell you, you you and I in times like these, we need more than just have a positive attitude. Now, positive attitude is good, but we need something more than a positive attitude. We need a worldview that views God as in control. You'll have to forgive me for telling one of my favorite stories again. Maybe those of you new to our church will appreciate it. It's a story told about Ronald Reagan. It was said to be his favorite story. He talked about parents that had twin boys, identical twin boys, identical in their physical, but their personalities couldn't have been more different. One was the eternal. Optimist. No matter what he went through, everything was going to turn out great. I mean, he, he just seemed out of balance. They were afraid that he was going to flounder and fail once he started growing up and meeting the really difficult times in life. And this, both of these boys were in elementary school and they said, if we're going to fix this, we've got to fix it now. And the reason they needed to fix this boy's out of balance optimism is his brother had out of balance pessimism. He always saw the worst in things. He seldom smiled. Everything was wrong. And a behavioral psychologist says, yes, we've got to fix these boys. He said, we're going to have a little behavioral therapy here. We're going to show the eternal optimist that life's not always good. And we're going to show the eternal pessimist that sometimes things are good. So they began with the pessimist. They brought him into a room They opened the door and from floor to ceiling, it was filled with every toy imaginable, everything the boy uh, parents, the boy's parents thought he would have liked it all. He went in and saw it from top to bottom lined with toys and he began to cry and he began to weep and wail the sound of despair. And they said, son, what's wrong? Everything here, everything imaginable is before you. And the boy said, yeah, but they'll probably break or they'll probably not make me happy or they'll probably not work. And he just went into deep despair because he just could not accept the fact that everything he wanted had been given to him. They said, well, it didn't work on this boy. Let's go to our other son, the eternal optimist. Now, what they had devised for him was a room like they had prepared for the other son, but instead of toys and delightful things, special candies, it was full of nothing from ceiling to floor <coughs> floor, except horse manure. That's all they put in there, just horse manure. That was it. They were wanting him to understand that life's not always a bowl of cherry. Sometimes life is a lot worse. And he opened the door. He looked at it puzzled, took a sniff to see what it was, And then he said, yes, and he dove in head first and started digging through the manure and working his way toward the middle, giggling with excitement. And they said, this this boy is crazy. They said, what are you thinking? He said, with all this manure, there's a pony in here somewhere. Reagan told that story as often as he could, and so do I. I love it. It's a way of saying this, this time I will praise the Lord. I'm in the wilderness. I'm going to change my worldview and I'm going to understand. You know, we talked about it a few weeks ago, the providence of God. We know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. You say, but Pastor, how can I, in my trial, in this wilderness place you talk about, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, let me set up one more thing, and then I'll give you some specifics. Um, Loved ones at Christian Life, I want to tell you, I've been talking about the protection of Goshen. In fact, last year I said we're coming on a time where two residences are needed in our life. There was the place of Goshen where we live in the Lord's protection. And there was a place of Gilgal where we rededicate and reconsecrate our lives to the Lord. But Goshen was a place of protection, but all along... God intended to move them out of there. We don't understand our Goshen. We don't understand the wilderness. And as a result, we seldom enjoy the promised land. Um, We want God to just leave us in a place of protection and security and safety. And we don't understand that God says, this is not your inheritance. Goshen, the place of me just taking care of you. Now, God will always take care of you. But the place of just surviving is not your inheritance. There's a different land. There's a different way. They didn't understand. Are you ready for this? They didn't understand that what God was bringing them to in the wilderness, taking them out of Goshen was a push toward their inheritance. Moses, when he killed the Egyptian and got in trouble, you know, when he was the the prince of Egypt, as we call him, and he killed the Egyptian... The, everything Moses did, it seemed that the children of Israel just kept turning against him. And this is what the scripture says. Moses supposed that they would understood, understand that he was helping them, but they did not understand. God does things in our lives to get us out of Goshen with the intention of making us understand that it's for our good. But we seldom understand that it's for our good. But God is pushing us toward their, uh, toward our inheritance. Now, like Leah, we've been searching so long for significance and love and like Leah, we're going to learn to face the adversity that we're experiencing right now. But this time we're going to praise God. This time we're going to be thankful for what God has done in our midst. How do they interpret a land that was so barren that Moses had to bring water out of a rock for them to drink? How do we explain being thankful for a land where there was almost no rain so they never knew the the ability to grow crops or live on their own? They had to depend on on manna from heaven and every day for 40 years they ate manna. I guess some creative ladies learned different ways to cook it. If my mom had been there, she'd she'd have had 30 different ways to cook manna. But this place that was barren, uh, it was described when Jesus went into the wilderness as wild beasts being there. How do we learn to give thanksgiving for it? Well, we read about it in Deuteronomy 2. And Moses points out several things. He says, number one. He says, when you, they were about to go into the land now, he says, now, as you look back on this wilderness experience and guys, we'll look back on this one day and we want, we want to have handled it well. He said, number one, we can thank God for his providence. Now that's kind of a continuation of what we talked about a few weeks ago. We thank God for his providence. And he put it this way, for the Lord, your God has blessed you in everything you have done. Oh, really? Give us water, give us food, defeat our enemies, the scorching sun, the freezing nights. God has blessed you in everything that you've done. That meant that God guided every step of their lives and pointed us toward the goal of becoming everything he's called us to be. And I I know that when you're in the wilderness, it's hard to thank God for what you're going through. When Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy were in a concentration camp, Betsy said before they ate their meager little cup of soup, which was their meal, she said, let's offer thanks. And Corrie in a moment of cynicism said, he doesn't expect us to be thankful for this. But God lays down a principle for us in the wilderness Every step that we take is providential. Every step that we take serves a purpose in your life. Speaking of Corey Ten Boom, I love this quote that she gave after God had rescued her from the concentration camp and she had had a long life of ministry. Every moment of our past, however painful or misunderstood, is God preparing us for a perfect future that only he can fully understand. When you're going through this tough place, we thank God for his providence because the Lord, every step that we've taken, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God said, I have blessed it. I have made it be fruitful in your life. He says, when you're coming through the wilderness, be thankful for his providence, but also be thankful for his protection. He says, I have watched over your every step. You say, oh, pastor, I don't know. There are some days I felt like I was left alone. Well, just because you felt something, don't make it true. You and I have been watched over every step of our life. He's kept us from every attack of the wisdom, uh, uh, of the enemy in his wisdom and power. And he does it by either keeping us from the attack or helping us walk through the attack. But in either case, we're more than conquerors through him. Listen to what Paul told the Philippians. Philippians 1, 6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He would write to his young protege, Timothy, this is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. Paul said, we know God is able to finish what he begins. We know God, <coughs> excuse me, is guarding everything in our lives. Number three, we thank him not only for his providence and protection, but he has a great purpose. We thank him for his purpose. God called it the great wilderness. As, and As I explained earlier, that's his great purpose remember don't forget this or the wilderness becomes just a bad memory the wilderness is the place where we learn man does not live by bread alone that means natural provision but by every word spoken by God supernatural provision you and I go through the 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 wilderness (coughs) we go through these bad places thank you my friend Because it's there, we learn what we never learn in prosperity. I want to read another passage from Deuteronomy to prove this. Listen, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply. You will enter and occupy the land, the land sworn to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you. And testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Now, he knew, but it's to reveal our lives. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. Now, why does he do it? He did it <clears throat> To teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, in this tough place, I am thankful for his providence. I'm thankful for his protection. I'm thankful that he has a purpose behind everything that I suffer and everything that I work for, uh, work through. But that's not all we give thankful for. We're thankful for his patience. It was patience. He says these 40 years, 40 years. I, I am reminded of the book of Acts chapter 13 where it, uh, Paul put it this way. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness for 40 years, he put up with them. Ramona and I had celebrated 40 years of marriage last year. And there were some sweet things said, and it was a wonderful celebration. But I'm so glad she didn't say, well, I've put up with you for 40 years. I did see a card that I kind of liked, but I didn't buy because I was afraid it would get me in trouble. And it's not true. The card said, we've been through a lot together. And you open it up, it says, and most of it was your fault. I didn't buy that card, but that's, that would have made her feel the way it would have made me feel. I put up with you for 40 years. No, our 40 years was a celebration. God said, I put up with you for 40 years. They had brought gods into the wilderness. They had failed God. He gave them 10 tests and they failed all 10 of the tests. And the reason they were in the wilderness for 40 years is to raise their children so their children could go into the promised land. But God said, even though I know your frailty, He remembers our frame that we are but dust. And God says, I have patience. I have patience. I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop caring for you. I'll never stop drawing you. <coughs> You may have forgotten some vows you made to God. You may have forgotten some prayers you prayed. You may have forgotten a place and a time in your life where you were more committed to God than you are right now. But God never forgets. And he says, I will be patient. I will keep drawing you back. I will get you to the place that I want you to go. Well, he's not only providential and protective and purposeful and patient, but number five, he gives us another cause to celebrate his presence. He said, the Lord has been with you. That means there'll never be a time, there'll never be a single moment when you have to stand without him. He's never left you on your own. And loved ones, I want you to remember this. We say it about every two weeks around here. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he already does. And there's nothing you will do that will make him love you less than he already does. Now we need to be obedient people who walk in covenant, but God's love does not change. It doesn't increase, it doesn't decrease. It's complete and perfect. It's infinite and it's for you right now. And then we thank him for his provision. In the wilderness, he says, you have lacked nothing. I love the way David described it in Psalm 23. Uh, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I like another translation that puts it this way. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. This means that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, I want to be honest with you as we kind of move toward the end here. I don't, I, I, there needs to be you know, truth in advertising. God has not given me everything I've wanted and I thank him for it. Because there's a lot of things I thought I needed, I just wanted. I have not received everything I wanted, but I have received everything I needed. Sometimes he's had to give me grace while I waited for even needs to be provided, but he always carried me. I was talking to my kids the other day and I just think of God's provision raising those kids and everything that we went through. I, I, there were times I don't know how we were able to make ends meet. There were times I don't know how we went from point A to point B. I look back and God helped us. I don't It's like every dollar was stretched or every situation was changed into something favorable. I don't know how we did it, but we did. So we thank God for his provision. Now, let's wrap this up. I want to pray for you. When you say, okay, God has been protecting me, that's Goshen, and now God is moving me into my inheritance, but I have to go through the wilderness. Pastor, I understand that it involves some directions I don't understand because he's keeping me from battles I'm not ready for. I understand that, and I want to get through the the wilderness, but... It's hard for me to be thankful for this hard place. It's hard for me to be thankful for what I've been through. That's why we're able to rejoice and give thanks in everything. The Bible never tells us to to rejoice for everything or give thanks for everything. There are some things you never are required to be thankful for, but you can be thankful for God's redemptive purposes. What are those redemptive purposes? his providence. God has blessed everything we've done. He's made the good, the bad, and the ugly work together, and he's made all things work together for good. That's his providence. We thank him for his protection. He's watched over every step that we've taken. We thank God for his purposes, even though we've had to go through the dry, barren wilderness. It's his dry, barren wilderness. He created it. And he's the one that can bring water out of the rock and manna from heaven. He's the one that fights our battles for us. He is our protection. He is our purpose. And he is so patient with us. He's never failed. I've failed him plenty of times. We all have But though we failed him, he's never failed us, and he's been with us. We can thank him for his presence, and we can thank him for his provision. Now, where do we go from here? Let me say this, loved ones. The goal of God as we're moving through this difficult day is more than survival. You will survive, and that's what he's going to to provide is survival. But it's more than survival. He's wanting you to begin to move into your inheritance, The greatest days of the church are ahead. I'm going to talk about that. The greatest harvest of souls that the church has ever seen is ahead. Your greatest days are ahead. You say, well, I've heard that before and I've been through trouble before and it just settles back down to like it was before. Well, how about this time? We will praise the Lord This time, we're going to walk through what remains with an attitude of thanksgiving. It made a difference in Leah's life, and it can make a difference in yours. This time, I will praise the Lord. Father, I want to pray for this lovely congregation that's listening with me today. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, in the name of Jesus, the Resurrected Lord, we come before you with thanksgiving. We come before you with praise and adoration. We come before you declaring in the midst of adversity and trouble that we trust you. And this time, instead of complaining, instead of walking in fear, instead of walking in bitterness and unforgiveness, this time, Leah, we we hear you, this time, we will praise the Lord. I'm asking you, Father, to touch us in our bodies, touch us physically, bring healing and divine protection. I ask you to bless our labors and our learning, guard our jobs, if we've lost them, bring back a better job. Bless our businesses, Lord, during this economic disaster. If we're we're children, bless our learning. Help us to keep learning the way we need to learn, even though school has been postponed. Bless us emotionally. (coughs) Let us know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Bless us socially. Let our friendships grow stronger because of having to be separated for a while. And most of all, bless, our, bless us spiritually. I, I, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, to give insight and revelation to your children that they will have a mind change, not just a positive attitude. We're not talking about mind games and, and, and little formulas, little trite sayings. We're talking about a change of our worldview where we will trust the Lord. We will praise the Lord. Father, I ask you to do four things, very specific, four things for everyone that's listening. I pray that everyone listening, as they open their heart to thanksgiving, number one, Lord, give them the favor of the Lord. Let them walk in the favor of the Lord. Touch them, spirit, soul, and body with the favor of the Lord. Number two, Lord, Lord, I ask you to cover them with the blood of Jesus. The overcomers of Revelation 12 said that we overcame by the blood of the lamb. Cover our lives with the benefit of the blood. Lord, thirdly, give us a life that is full, full of the spirit, full of the word, full of faith. And Lord, fourthly, I ask for angelic intervention. I pray that all of heaven would work together for the purposes of God. Turn us, Lord. You said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, you've not pulled us away from faith, but you want us to live it under your yoke. The, the way we've been trying isn't working for some of us. So we want to put on your yoke. We know we have troubles. We know we have tribulation, but Lord, we want to go through it wearing your yoke because your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Bring us close to you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus name. Thank you so much for listening, loved ones. I pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to follow you all through the day. God bless you. We'll see you before too long. I love you.